Good evening, Thomas. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Good. How are you, buddy? Yeah, I'm good, man. We're back again. We're uh, back again, drinking beers and talking shit. That's what I think. Before we drink beers and talk shit, I need to address a very big topic of the week. Okay. Go on. It's your birthday. Oh, it is. Yeah. Happy birthday, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. I have a, Mid- I have a message from our colleagues at Happy Hour Gaming for you. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I asked them to, to, to send me some messages to, to read out to you on the show. I was right. a little disappointed they weren't anywhere near as crude, filthy, or horrible as I expected. So, so um, from Ken, Ken wants to say to you, from one fellow hobbit to another, <laughs> I wish you an amazing birthday. I hope you play all the games that you want, and, well, and while you are at play some Queens of the Stone Age to mark the occasion. All nice. the best. That was too nice, wasn't that's, it? That's very nice. Um, oh, thanks, Ken. Um, Matt sends you a, he says, happy birthday ad from your back end. <laughs> and he perfect. sends you a Welsh and gaming themed limerick. Oh, let's hear it. That goes, the once was a small man from Wales. He saw a PS5 in the sales. It sat on a shelf that was too high for him. So he bought a SNES and a game on a whim. <laughs> now at least he can enjoy his craft ales. That is, that's pretty damn good. Accurate too. Yeah, they, the guys were stoked that it was your birthday. So also we decided to um, do this. Let me just do this. <laughs> What's going on? Uh, this is great. Uh, so I've got to... Um, da, 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 da. Let me just click the buttons. I've been instructed to do this. Okay. So I have to click here. Oh, my God. It's way more complex than I thought. This better be amazing, though. Yeah, it's going to be <laughs> when it. Um, when it happens. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Boom! There you go. We sent you a copy of Hades on Steam. Enjoy, man. Oh, holy shit! Thank you, man. Oh, guys, that's amazing. Oh wow! Yeah, we all pl- um, we're all playing it, and we feel you need to get in on some of that love. Oh, blown away! That's that's absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, oh, hold on. No wait. No wait. I haven't. Now I have. <laughs> I was on the confirmation screen. Anticlimax. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Enjoy your game, man. Happy oh, birthday. Thank you so much. That's uh, that's absolutely amazing. Oh, what a way to start the show. Like, I'm, and don't like, get used to it. <laughs> oh, what? I don't get one every week. Okay. Right. That's fair. Next, next important thing. Oh, there it is. The wonderful sound of what have you cracked open there? Shoop. <laughs> Shoop. Let me read the description. Salt and Pomona Island present Shoop, a New England IPA packed and stacked with tropical hop aromas. We dipped into our bag of tricks to bring you a juicy nipa, smooth-bodied and low in bitterness, not shy with the dry hop of Vic Secret Enigma and Mutika. Expect aromas of passion fruit, lime, and pineapple and melon. And then the thing that sold it to me, at the end of that, it says... Shoop-a-doop-a-doop. <laughs> Do you know, no, two things. Okay, firstly, that sounds like someone from the Holland saying soup. <laughs> Would you like a drink of soup? And a schmuck and a pancake. A uh, cigar and a waffle. Uh, and secondly, and I quote, and I quote, I'm fucking sick of these IPAs. <laughs> Tune into yeah, it. but I thought this, 
this one, like, man, there was I've never seen more bullshit on the back of a beer. That's yeah, that's some description. Well, I've got nothing. And I let to the match side that. down recently. You have, yeah. You've been drinking some really shit beers recently, so you're back. You're back in the game. I have a, a Doomba, and it's been my staple for the last few months. Doomba, it's just so damn good. The Cornish classic. Mm. Yeah, but you've got to get back on the weird ones. Indeed. So, welcome to. I'm a scat man. Well, God, welcome to that 8 bit shit show. What a start to this episode. Uh, where we're looking at oh, absolute classic Command and Conquer. Command and Conquer. Yeah, the so, OG CNC. Yeah, so this is uh, obviously an RTS. Uh, it was developed by Westwood Studios. Westwood! <laughs> the Platinum Edition. <laughs> Apparently, he has a doorbell that says that every time someone rings it. Fucking hell. The I guys... heard him say that. I, don't... I, lo- I love Tim Westwood because he's such an intolerable cunt. It's unbelievable. <laughs> but he loves he's it like as a, well. He's like a 50-year-old man that acts like a like 14-year-old from South London. <laughs> what was the show he did? Uh, it was like the, the car show. What the hell was it? Yeah, and he always stands like he's always got like he's put the camera on the floor and he stands in these like ridiculous shiny tracky bottoms, legs like, wide the, apart. Yeah, like pointing up at him. He's like Westwood. <laughs> That's enough about Tim Westwood, no? It's uh, not. We're not, we're barely getting started. God's sake! Uh, right, published by Virgin Interactive, and uh, this had several releases um, throughout the years. So first came out on uh, DOS in 1995. Uh, Shortly followed by a release to Windows 95. Uh, can we do an episode of that 8-bit shit show on Windows 95? <laughs> well, I mean, we can. <laughs> that would be amazing. I suppose it's got a lot of uh Because <laughs> that was the it. operating system, man, that defined what we do today. That's where it kicked off, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, we could do. Or, or, or kicked off at Microsoft and Windows 95. Maybe we'll do a special. Um, so that That'd came out in 1995. <laughs> yeah, guys, tune in for that. Um, <laughs> I also saw a release on the PSX and Saturn in 1967, the N64 in 1999, um, and then most recently, the remastered edition, uh, which also had Red Alert, uh, was released on Origin and Steam in June of 2020 this year. And that's the way to play the game today. Oh, absolutely. So in the remastered version, you can flick between the um, old graphics and new graphics that they've done. And Christ, I don't think I could play in the old graphics settings anymore because you just can't see anything. Um, so, uh, 1995 in video games, Tom, big year. Um, so- 1995 was, you've got to bear in mind that the, the PlayStation was the new thing mm. then. Games was- were going on, we had games on CDs, man. We had like times they were it- changing. How old are you? I was 10. I was also 10. We are off the same school year. <laughs> there was no such thing as PC gaming then either, was it? It was computer gaming. It was full on computer games. Uh but it was a big it was a big year because um there was still although the PS1 was the big, you know, big release, uh, big new console release, we still had the SNES, we still had the Saturn, the Jaguar, Commodore, Amiga, uh obviously DOS was. It was still a operating. big thing getting a new console at launch back then. Yeah, it really was. Like you didn't, it wasn't, you know, now everyone's like, oh, the new consoles are coming out. They come out so far apart. You've got that time to prep. And because there's only really a couple of strands of console, it's mm. it's that upgrade you're going to get. And we're, we're so much more used to now upgrading as tech develops, like, because phones has done that to us. But back then, you didn't necessarily get the consoles at launch. You got them a couple of years later. Or... Yeah. 
Well, the only one I had at launch back then, I think, it was a PS2. And um, man, that was that was such a good console. But anyway, I remember you getting that. Yeah, yeah, I had it with Tekken. You were, you were smug as fuck. <laughs> well, I was fucking well happy. Tech I think Colin had the PS1 at launch. Colin Astley? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Poss- c'est possible. Possible. Um, so around this time, what I want to talk about is just a little bit about what was going on in, in the gaming world. So the most notable similar title to Command & Conquer that was uh, out at the time was Warcraft 2 Ties of Darkness. Uh, and that was on DOS, Mac, and PS1, uh, brought out by Blizzard, of course. Um, and it's the only notable real addition in terms of RTS that was out there at the time. So since he didn't have that much competition, really. Um, well, there was June 2, of course. But that was pre... Oh, that was made by Westwood as well. Yeah, exactly. So it wasn't exactly um, June June 2 really kind of what... The systems that CNC were based on was, were based on the systems from June 2. It was that, that same yeah, exactly. setup. Yeah, and we'll go on to talk about that in a bit more detail in a bit. But um, it was just sort of quite interesting to to note that there wasn't just there was wasn't that much about of a similar ilk to uh, to Command and Conquer. Um, we we said on the unplugged episode we were like, oh, this is you know the origins of RTS, and that's not strictly true. Like you, you very rightly called out Warcraft two. People think of Warcraft kind of started we, our memory of Warcraft starts with World of Warcraft, but the first three Warcraft games were, were strategy games, and you've got June as well. But this was the game that was accessible to people with like girlfriends. <laughs> yeah, quite, quite. Because Warcraft is very like you know wizards uh, it and was, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, like it was. It wasn't cool back then. Like, yeah, you got to remember the world is way less accepting of nerdum. Yeah, well, exactly. And um, I played a lot of Warcraft, and that tells you a lot, doesn't it? But <laughs> um, yeah, this one really brought uh, RTS more into the mainstream. Um, so other similar titles that were out, but not RTS, were a game called Baldies on uh, PC and PS1. A game um, called what? Baldies. Ba- oh, Baldies. <laughs> That'll be, that Ken will be able to get a, a, a role in the remake of that in about three years. Ooh, bird. Ooh. Burn. <laughs> and uh, the other one was uh, Worms on the Commodore Amiga. Um, obviously not on RTS, turn-based, but, you know. Um, yeah, turn-based, and it's a side-on game. It's not a battlefield game. No, no, quite. In the way that you're not you're not commanding an area. It's like, so it's fucking cool. I can't wait to cover Worms. Hell yeah. Um, some other significant releases in 1995, Tom. We had Donkey Kong Country 2 on the SNES. Um, Panzer Dragoon on the Saturn. Battle, oh. Battle Arena Toshin. One of the best games on the Saturn. Panzer Dragoon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll have to cover that as well. Um, so Battle Arena Toshin done on the PS1. Rayman on PS1. Fucking Saturn, man. You, are you a Rayman fan? I yeah. fucking love... I always like Rayman from the start. I think the platform is great. The art mm-hmm. style is great. It's funny and it's quirky and cool. Well, I played through Legends. Another, the next one on my list is, is another game I really liked. Yeah, Destruction Derby, PS1. That was a great game. Uh, Time Crisis in arcades. Uh, Obviously, one of the biggest games, arcade games of all time in the nineties. Absolutely, and uh, what else we got? Chrono Trigger on the SNES, and Twisted Metal on the PS One. So, quite a lot came out that year. You know, it was a big year for gaming um, with the PS One coming out. Um, it's a big year for gaming, but it's not. It's not monumental in the way that some of the titles were, like Final Fantasy VII. Mm. Metal Gear, like not the same year, obviously Metal Gear Solid. You know the, the titles you really like. When you go, oh, what do you remember on the PS One? 
Twisted Metal might show its face, yeah. but people aren't talking really about Rayman and Destruction Derby. And I have Battle Arena to Shinden gets some love. Um, Chrono Trigger is probably the big one on that list. Never played it, but I know of it. So another one we should cover. But uh, yeah, so as you said, yeah, you're probably right there, actually, mate. It's it's like it's not a massive year for gaming. It's like a seven out of ten year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's really the context around what Command and Conquer was um, was facing at the time in terms of uh, other games that were on the market. Um, so let's let's talk about Westwood Studios and Westwood. <laughs> waiting for that. <laughs> um, so they, <laughs> Jesus, this is going to happen every time I say it. And I say it, I'm going to say it a lot now as well. So okay. stay tuned. Um, so Westwood is the US. Westwood! Uh, <laughs> for God's sake. No, all right, I'm going to stop. They were <laughs> a US-based game developer. Uh, they were founded by Brett Sperry and Louis Castle uh, in 1985 in Las Vegas. They aren't real names. <laughs> well, that's what it said online, so... I reckon they they might exist. Um, so it's called Westwood Associates before they um, eventually merged with Virgin Games in 1992 and renamed to Westwood Studios. Um, and then they eventually got bought out by EA in 98. Um, but unfortunately for them, they well they were liquidated in 2003 because EA wanted every title they produced to be a, a huge EA commercial success. And Westwood's last two games just didn't hit the mark on that. So, what's interesting as well is so the last two games are CNC Renegade and Earth and Beyond. I've never heard of them. Well, that's yeah, probably why they didn't so carry that says on. Says a lot because the last big ones you had really the last heavy hitting titles I remember in the franchise was Red Alert Three mm-hmm. and CNC Four Tiberium and Sun because obviously the Red Alert franchise and the Command and Conquer franchise ran in parallel. Yeah, for their yeah. lifetime. Yeah. Um. And told completely different stories, and actually had some different elements of gameplay. Mm-hmm. So it enables us to cover Red Alert as a separate show, maybe not like in the immediate future, but yeah, because I far prefer the Red Alert series. Right. I didn't buy into the the um, the law behind the the Command and Conquer series. It's just very cheesy, isn't it? It's very like dated. Um, good guys versus bad guys, and uh, yeah, I. I much preferred the Red Alert stuff as well. I mean, you kind of could say the similar things about that, but it's just it's just executed. Well, Red Alert was definitely cheesy. I mean, they had Tim Curry in it and everything. We'll talk about that another day, but it's it was all the Tiberium space age shit exactly. in Command and Conquer that was a bit off to me. But in terms of why they called it Westwood Studios, Brett Sprayer, is, um he's quoted as saying that they really liked the entertainment meets professional character of Westwood, California. Um and the attraction to the of the area to teens and young adults felt like the perfect fit for a new company specialising in entertainment software. Um, and it goes on to talk about why they named it Associates. It's a bit boring, but basically that's why they called the studio that. Um, and then they went on to make Command & Conquer. So, <laughs> uh, This is interesting, though. They, they weren't really sure if they could make a go at game development. So the original name, Westwood Associates, gave them the ability to get into more traditional software if necessary. I suppose it gave him a back uh, sort of fallback. Yeah, but that's really interesting to openly like talk about that. That they were like, because yeah, if you call it studios, mm. that has an implication that it's film or game or television or something like that. And obviously, if you're in software development, it's game. But yeah. going on, we're going to call it associates because we're not quite sure we're not going to fuck this up. 
it's very cautious, isn't it? It's like it sounds like a solicitor's or something. So, but um, throughout the life cycle of the company, they became a studio that became synonymous with the development of RTS and adventure and role playing games. Um, not just for Command and Conquer, but also the groundwork they laid for Command and Conquer a number of years before that. So it's probably it's pertinent to go back and look at what Westwood produced before they made Command and Conquer. Well, a lot of the stuff we, we cover on this show as well, we do we, we look at the earlier and the following things because we we tend to cover important games. We do cover some complete nonsense as well, like we're, we're doing Shaq Fu later in this season. <laughs> but we always try to have a look at the run-in and run-out of those because there's there's... Yeah, everything is influenced by something and influences something. That's the nature of art. Very profound, Thomas. <laughs> I don't know, man. Very profound. That fucking gravestone. <laughs> Westwood! Uh, right, so early years. So the company's um, first projects, they, they were actually uh, doing contract work for other companies like uh, Epics and Strategic Simulations, Inc., SSI. I like the spelling of Epics, E-P-Y-X. That's very edgy. <laughs> I bet the good. I bet the the boss of that company wears one of them shirts with flames on the <laughs> on the base. <laughs> Probably, hey guys, like, I got a new wrap around shades. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's got fucking frosted tips. <laughs> oh, you built a perfect image of what that guy's like. I need to find one to find that out. Um, so they they were basically just porting eight bit titles to sixteen bit systems, um, like the Commodore Amiga and Atari ST. Um, but doing that contract work really gave them the opportunity then to expand and design to start designing their own games in house. Um, and the first title they made was called Mars Saga. I haven't heard of this, um, so it might be one that we need to go and look at. But yeah, I don't know any of Westwood's early games before CNC, mm. but I like the name of this one. It sounds their great. first RTS game, BattleTech Colon. The Crescent Hawks Revenge. <laughs> no, it's a great title. What so a franchisable that, name that is. Apparently it was based on a tabletop game of the same name, Battletech. Um again. Don't know. That's it. something I want to talk to you about very quickly whilst we're at this point, Ad, is really the influence of RTS is tabletop games. Yeah. Yeah. True. It is um, you know, games like Warhammer, uh I don't know when Warhammer came out. When um but you know, Dungeons of Dragons, which was big years mm-hmm. before that. Um it's, yeah, it's those just, when was Warhammer invented? I don't know. I've never thought about it. <laughs> it's it's just been perpetual, isn't it? Yeah, it's just always been there. Um, when I'm telling you, when was Warhammer released? Because it was Warhammer Factory, 1983. So okay, so before all this. So really, these games were trying to emulate the tabletop experience, and it makes so much sense, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, of course it does. You know, you've got a screen, which is essentially a tabletop. Mm-hmm. You've got some method to control. You can navigate around so that the map could be far bigger than the window in which you're looking through. Um, what I find interesting is I think Command & Conquer was one that took, you know, the earlier games tried to replicate tabletop games. Specifically, I'm talking about Warcraft mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Whereas I think CNC was at the period of time where it, moved on enough to start using more of the video game side of stuff than the tabletop game influence. Yeah. yeah very and that's common. that's really where the transition happened to me, where it became really like, oh, this is, like CNC wouldn't work on a tabletop. 
Not a, no, not in the form that it turned out to be, uh, you know, as a game. Now, um, obviously, part of the nature of that is it's real time strategy. Exactly. Whereas a, a tabletop games tend to be turn based. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you roll your dice and you you move your units and then you'll have all these things which determine, you know, what your attack points are, all that sort of stuff. So they. I'm looking forward to our show we're going to produce next summer ad where we, me, you, Ken, and Matt play D and D for a month, locked away in a some sort of. Basement or we'll just somewhere. do it online. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, I'm down for that, because I said I never played it, so yeah. I'm, uh, it's actually fucking... It's really fun. A few beers, and uh, yeah, sounds good. Um, but they took... As it, talking about that side of things, they took all of that unnecessary stuff away, so that you don't need in a video game, so you turn base, you're obviously rolling your dice to move, how much hit points has a unit got, is it going to destroy this other unit? Took it, take that away... And just or, or they either took it away or they hid it. Yeah, well, yeah, they, you don't need to know about it, do you? Because um, that all happens still, obviously, in the background, doesn't it? Yeah, there'll, there'll be, you know... Damage calculators and, yeah, yeah. and da-da-da. Yeah. So it's just taking that... as you, Yeah, good good, uh, good point, actually. You're taking it from the front end and just moving it out of the, the user's, um, you know, visual eyeline and just... Get, letting them do the fun bit, which is that's the key. The key thing you've just said is it's taking out all the work and just focusing on the fun bits of those tabletop games. Exactly. Um, so yeah, no, uh, re- really good point there. And I think um, looking back then at what uh, what else they produced. So some of their other initial success stories um, of note, you've got Eye of the Beholder in nineteen ninety one, which was a real time role playing game uh, based on. Actually, the Dungeons and Dragons license. So clearly, they had some interest in that side of things as well, and saw it as a, a viable uh, medium to transfer over to gaming. Um, so that was released for MS DOS and later ported to Amiga, SNES, and Sega CD. And that was actually a pretty big success for the time. It sold 150,000 copies worldwide. Um, worldwide. <laughs> Westwood worldwide. <laughs> it's sort of set the bar for Westwood. For the games that they would go on to develop. Westwood's going worldwide, 2020. <laughs> oh, Christ. Um, <laughs> so because of this success that they'd garnered through either Beholder, between 91 and 93, their reputation really rose in the industry and they became known, according to media reports at the time, for the studio that gets it done right and gets it done on time, which obviously a publisher always loves. Who said they became known as that? Did they say that? <laughs> No media reports. Because that, that sounds. Oh yeah, okay. Because that sounds like um something that uh, you know they would write themselves. It does. <laughs> yeah, it does. Like a promo. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, well, clearly they had a good track record of just getting things out, getting them done to specification, and actually not delaying them like some other studios currently. Um, well, and also it's just good to keep reminding ourselves the fact that you couldn't patch a game. Yeah, that's a good point. We talked about that on the so show. So, like, before. the game had to fucking work. It had to be QA tested up to the tits. Yeah, up to the tits. <laughs> I want this QA up to the tits. <laughs> no further. <laughs> Don't go above the tits. <laughs> Sage advice for right. anyone there. <laughs> um, says CEO Tim Westwood. <laughs> Don't go above the tits, yeah? <laughs> Westwood. Right, we are digressing. A lot. I want to talk about Command and Conquer now, which is why everyone's here. Um, so who's here? <laughs> hopefully, a lot of people, but we'll see. Uh, so Command and Conquer—that was um, 
as you mentioned earlier, Tom, that was really uh, put together on the back of a different title, June 2, The Building of a Dynasty, or The Battle for Arrakis in North America. Um, so June 2 is highly regarded as the, the game that was most influential in the establishment of the RTS genre. Um, that came out in 1992 and is based on, of course, the, the David Lynch movie of the same name. So someone somewhere went, we need to make a video game. Mm-hmm. Let's base it on David Lynch. One of the most because with our with our you know limited narrative capabilities of the uh, the medium at the time, that would be a good source to go to <laughs> for uh, something that would translate efficiently into video games. Exactly, one of the most obscure directors. You know, we're basically the year before Doom comes out. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be more different. Yeah, quite. So I don't quite know where they turned to that, and obviously it was a novel as well by Frank Herbert. Um, Old Herbie. Old Frankie Herbs. Uh, So what they wanted to do with that game, what they they ended up sort of putting together was a game that struck a balance between how complex it was and how innovative it was. Um, And really... uh, Both of those don't sound fun. Exactly. No, they don't. Um, You know, the output, that Venn diagram, fun isn't the third element there. (laughs) No, it's frustration probably. Uh, But... So what what they were doing with with June, unbeknownst to them, was laying the foundation for most of the RTS games that would follow in the sort of the immediate future. Um, so some of the things that they built into June two, I want to talk about because you can see from talking about these elements that Command and Conquer took a lot of this and and sort of built on it. So June uh, implemented a new, which is an element that's now common: gather resources, build your base, destroy the enemy theme. Now that. Whatever I say about June not being fun or whatever, that those three corners of that uh, that pyramid they they make fun. They do, yeah, yeah. I mean, base building's in, inherently cool. Yeah, ex- it's yeah, exactly. It always has been. You know, you, you're building up your own defenses and your armies and stuff. It's just well, like there's just off. a visual representation that the time you've spent dicking around in that game has paid off in some way. Mm, true. Like true. something got bigger. Yeah. <laughs> like we're, we're all pretty basic creatures like oh after one hour i've done this after two i can see i've got more it's just fun it feels like a payoff yeah fair point uh other elements are the player controls um the units by clicking them and issuing orders through further clicks on the screen um there's not a single main base in these games but more multiple bases that function independently um they also brought in that to build certain units, you need to have certain structures, which that's pretty innovative. Yeah, so a, non, a non-linear a non upgrade path. Mm-hmm. Yep. It limits on the number of units you could actually build. Boo. I think that's pretty cool because you have to make sure that you're managing your resources properly. Um, yeah, but I just, I just like to build a fucking wave of misery and unleash it upon the world. It's probably <laughs> as shown in uh, Checkpoint Season 1. Um Different armies had slightly different weapons with certain special weapons afforded to each faction. So they built in a lot of different ideas into into June, which... Yeah, that sounds like that is the ingredients list for Command & Conquer. Exactly. So I don't mean Command & Conquer 1. I mean the Command & Conquer franchise all the way through. They're the key core ingredients. So Yeah, so they laid the groundwork already. But it's funny that Command & Conquer became much more popular and well-received than than June ever did. Um, Simply probably because it was... um, you know, based on more current events. Um, it was more recognisable. You didn't have to, like, you know, this is, our, it, it's armies. 
the Russians are there. Well, that was Red Alert, but you know what I mean. The yeah, Brotherhood yeah. and Nod were basically Russians. <laughs> um, so Command and Conquer, when that came out, it, it turned out that it was very similar to June in its core gameplay. But what they did was they just refined those em- uh, elements I talked about, and they made them just just better. There are a few fresh ideas in there, but they didn't need to change anything, really. Um, you know, the, the core elements worked and made the game fun. So they just had to refine it and really build upon it to make Command and Conquer what it was, you know, what it became. Um, What's interesting to me, and we're going to talk later about the story, but when they moved away from Frank Herbert's Dune, that had a really complex lore that they had to work with him. But Tim Westwood was able to actually tell uh, a modern story and then weave the gameplay around it. So the idea would be that the simplified story and everything would would just make it easier but then they still rather than doing that they based like a fucking crazy plot still like yeah they, they seem to got rid of june to like simplify it and get rid of the shackles of the, the complexities of that story and then just went a bit off the chain anyway well, yeah, i don't know if, we, if you look at the franchises they had worked on before or the the things that they worked on and what was in the rts genre there always was these like deep complex stories around them yeah yeah and I mean, you didn't really need it. The, the key thing you cared about in CNC was the fact that you had a map in between each level showing your progression. Yeah, exactly. Am I am I taking over these territories? Yes, I am. Great. Um, mm. But what they did introduce, which was sort of a, a brand new feature, was that they did introduce videos and cutscenes. Um, and these were obviously live, real time videos. Um, you know, live action videos that uh, that were played by real actors. Um, and I. I'm struggling to recall anything that really was doing that at the time. Um, certainly not to the same level as as what Command and Conquer did. Uh, possibly Yeah, there were. Um, um, let me have a look. 1992, you had Night Trap. So games were messing around with FMV. Mm. Um, but this was presented as like, oh, this is a movie, sort of. Yeah, exactly. And you're controlling, you know, the plot of the movie, basically. So, But there was also, like, as parts of that, those things, there was 3D animations of, like, the construction vehicles going out and building the bases. And, like, it was a mix of, of video, like, like actors, real actors, and then animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was always remember looking at it and seeing the anime, the pre-recorded animations, being like, "Oh man, one day games are going to actually look like that." <laughs> yeah, and here we are. <laughs> And it's just like, man, if a game looked like that today, you wouldn't fucking touch it. <laughs> well, I think it's a good place for us now to sort of talk about the the story, um, and then the actual the get the gameplay and how we found that when we when we played through it recently. So, yeah, Tom, take us through Command and Conquer's story. It's it's absolutely batshit crazy story. It's an alternate history modern military story. It begins with a meteorite crashing near the River Tiber in Italy in the nineteen nineties. The meteorite brings with it an alien substance that scientists call Tiberium. So Tiberium is the resource you gather in Command and Conquer. Ad. Mm-hmm. It's different in um, in Red Alert. You gather ore, which is obviously a more it's more grounded in reality. Red Alert is yep. loosely grounded in reality. Um, so you have this substance named after its impact site, which can absorb and crystallize precious metals from the surrounding soil, but also terraform its surroundings and produce extremely toxic gases and radiation that is fatal to humans and animals. So that's why in the game, as we'll talk about later, you can't walk across this Tiberium. So there's an ancient cultic secret society called the Brotherhood of Nod. 
um, who claims to have foreseen the potentials of the new substance through their self-proclaimed me- messianic figure, only known as Kane. So Kane is one of the guys baldy with the goatee. He looks a bit like Kano, actually, off Mortal Kombat. I wonder if there was ever a link there. Um, yeah, he, he also looks a bit like Kane off Robocop 2. Uh, yeah, he does. Yeah. Interesting so apparently fact. if you're Kane, you're bald with a goatee. <laughs> Interesting um, fact on him. him um, yeah. Before we, we move on, Joe Kushan, the guy who played uh, Kane, he holds a I Guinness thought you were going to talk about Tom Noonan, who played Kane in Robocop 2. I don't have any interesting facts about him, <laughs> I'm afraid. Um, also played the Ripper in Last Action Hero. Oh, okay. <laughs> what a film. Love that film. Uh, so Joe Kushan holds the Guinness World Record as the longest running actor in a video game series. Having played Kane for 13 years between 95 and 2008, at the time that he actually received the award, he later extended that to 15 years with uh, Tiberian Twilight, Command and Conquer 4. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Right, remember these dates. 1998, work out the difference here for me. 1998 to 2008. 20 years. 10 years. 10 years. I'm that retarded. Okay, David Hayter, that was. Met a solid snake. I think he would have taken it if they hadn't got Kiefer Sutherland in five. Yeah, he yeah he definitely would have, and they they should have kept him in. David Hayter was great. Okay, continue. so yeah, they uh, it, so Kane invests in the development of technology to harvest and refine Tiberium crystals, way ahead of the scientific community's own research, and then use the resource it gathers to accumulate a rapidly growing army of followers worldwide. By 1995, Tiberium had spread across the planet, with Nod having control of nearly half the substance that is growing and conducting terrorist campaigns in wealthy countries while establishing the footholds in some poorer nations. To counter Nod, who are deemed a threat, I mean, at the point you, you govern half the world's resources, you would think you are deemed a threat. <laughs> Quite a bit before then, really. Yeah, the United Nations go, oh, shit. Uh, United got? Nations Security Council authorises a bill for the formation of multinational military task force called the Global Defence Initiative, so the GDI. With the specific task of intervening against Nod across the globe, the conflict between the two sides eventually culminates in a worldwide war between GDI and Nod by 1996, with Kane focused on operations in Africa, where GDI conducts military operations in Europe to stabilise the region. Way too complex. Yeah, not needed. Not needed at all. Like you can tell that the people... like, But this is written by fans of June. Yeah, clearly. Like, you can tell the kind of stories the people at Westwood, Westwood, the people there like. It's They're into that kind of like deep, deep, convoluted narrative. Yeah, that's the thing, which isn't necessary at all, as you say, for a game like this. What you needed was two factions, right? They're going to war. What's happened? Uh, you know, Tiberium, there's a fucking meteorite hit and they've controlled it. Or what? Where did you come up with that? It's I just... like it's in, in the 90s, so the terrorists weren't brain. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Well, as soon as you got to the like, late 2000s, that was it, wasn't it? They were the baddies in any American developed game. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Very true. Um, but that's, yeah. Story sets up, uh, obviously, um, sets up the game for you. And as I say, I don't think it's needed. I mean, the game itself. So you've got two ways you can play. Um, go, go on. Let me point this out first. That was really always stood out to me as a game. You can play as GDI or not, and they both have separate campaigns, and that's super cool. There's no like definitive bad guy. Mm. Yeah, no, that is really cool. Actually, I hadn't really thought about that, but um, I guess games weren't 
particularly doing well no they were actually because warcraft did it as well you could play as either side yeah and uh, yeah like alliance or horde i presume it's still it is in world of warcraft i presume it was always that yeah but games back in the 90s did do that if you like think how you video games weren't designed to make you play as the goodie all the time you look at june nukem you look mm. at doom things like that it's they were always like morally you tended to be a bit of a badass in video games yeah whereas actually things like 80s at, movies a lot of them were based on yeah quite yeah the arnie movies and stuff like that and rambo and all that shit but well you know the movies from the 80s clearly inspired the games from the early 90s that's but if you look in at no them, in no stronger way than jude nukem <laughs> yeah damn right it's time to kick ass and chew bubble gum <laughs> i'm all out of gum um but then you look at Call of Duty and what that brought to it to the table, and you're like, you know, the Americans saving the day every time. It's like it gets a bit tiresome. Um, so yeah, in the campaign mode for Command and Conquer, so um, this is the main single player game that you can play. So you can either play through, as you say, a GDI or Brotherhood of Nod. It's like a dozen missions of each. Yeah, series of missions and series of difficulty settings. So there's a lot of replay value. Yeah, and they they kind of tend to be either get from point A to point B and get this objective, or build your base and wipe out the enemy type missions, really. Yeah, you're either going to be a longer set path where you start with some units, receive backups at certain points, and you have a limited control, or you're going to be having some element of base building. Sometimes you'll be doing, they'll mix the two up, where it'll be like, Mm. right, you start, you've got an engineer and some dudes, and we're going to rescue an allied base that's falling and then when you arrive there, that base being destroyed, you've got to get in there. Then you take control of it, rebuild it, and then wipe. But it always ends up with just wiping out the enemy in the area. Of course, it does. There's just yeah, a yeah. different vehicle of delivery each time. Mm-hmm. But the the game does settle into its. By the end of each mission, you're generally doing something similar, and it's destroying enemy buildings. Yeah, exactly. Um, Red Alert mixed that up a lot more with the introduction of like specialist units like Tanya and stuff like that. Oh, the spies are great. Yeah, yeah. They um, had they had some stuff like that in this, but. Yeah, looking at the units you could get. So, for example, as GDI, you've got quite a wide range of infantry you can have. So you've got like your minigunners, your grenadiers, rocket soldiers, engineer and commando. Obviously, commandos are the most expensive unit you, you can buy um, in terms of infantry. Uh, and as we said earlier, to get these units, you either need a barracks um, to get your basic units or to get commando, you need an advanced communication centre. So you really have to think about how much resource do i want to pour into getting this specialized unit or do i just get like shitloads of minigunners or grenadiers or something for the same price so it's it's always that balance isn't it um types of vehicles you'll see uh the harvester which gets your resources your tiberium uh you get a humvee apc medium tank mammoth tank uh rocket launcher vehicle and obviously your mobile construction vehicle which builds your bases so, and that was always that's the 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 key thing because once that's destroyed, you can no longer build any buildings. So you you're you're crippled once your construction yard's destroyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to. And that was always the thing to go for, wasn't it? When you went for the enemy base, you wanted to get straight into the middle and wipe out that that construction yard if you could. Yeah. Once that's gone, that's it. They're they're screwed. So. There's there's a there's an element of strategy around both the ground warfare where you want a mixture of um, armored vehicles and troops because obviously. You know, vehicles weak against troops, troops weak against vehicles, that kind of thing. But also then to destroy in the bases in that you can build defense structures such as like turrets and pillboxes and things. But by taking out the power, they would go offline. And Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, yeah, as you say, there's a bit of management to it there. And So you uh, can like send in your MiGs, destroy a power plant and then have your like army ready to go in. 
as soon as the power goes out and stuff like that. It's kind of cool. And that makes no, that makes you feel like a proper commander as well. Like you feel like right, I've strategized how I've done this. You know, uh, this assault. Um, so that's really clever how they they managed to make you feel that way. Um, looking at so those are the GDI soldiers, but looking at the Nod uh, soldiers or infantry that you could get, there were some slight variations um, as we mentioned earlier. Um, you can get flamethrower infantry for them. Um, chem warriors, which are an advanced unit, which are immune to the effects of Tiberium. So yeah, that's another thing. You can't take your units across Tiberium, can you? Well, you um, can, but they'll their health degrades. Yeah. So these chem warriors are immune to that. So that gives you a little bit of an edge. Um, and you have to have the Temple of Nod to, to get them. So, um, there are slight differences in the vehicles as well, um, but not, not as... Uh, as vast, but you do get a flame tank, which is pretty cool. A stealth tank called Ezekiel's Wheel, which is pretty damn cool. Um, and some surface to surface missile launchers as well. So alongside those, you also get your your Chinook air transport, Apaches, things like that. So there's a lot of variation in units you can get, Tom, which is impressive, I think. What's your your typical build order? I would... I'm, I'm always, I always get this. I dump my MCV immediately. Small power plant or yep. refinery, mm-hmm. barracks, big power plant, war factory, second ore truck. You're far more fucking organized than me. <laughs> That's always the same thing every time. I'm always the race to get that second ore truck out. Like the way I've been playing it recently. Or Tiberium, or... Tiberium Harvester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, nowhere near as organized. So I'll always obviously dump the thing straight away, get a power plant, get the refinery. Then I'll build a barracks because I need to, I want some units on the table straight away. Um, and then I'll work towards getting the, uh, what's, what is it that creates the vehicles? The, um, fuck's sake. The Tiberium Harvester. No, the, well, all the, all the vehicles. Uh, it's a blah, 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 blah. Uh, it's a war factory war in the factory. second one, but I think it's something, it's something else in, uh, weapons I, I know all the names from Red Alert. Weapons factory. There you go. Um, so yeah, that's next on my list normally just to get those, that extra vehicle, that extra, um, refinery vehicle. Um, one thing I do find is like resources are really quite hard to manage. Like they run out so quick. Um, resources are hard to manage, and what I like as well is you you got all these different choices of maps, which give you an indication of where the resources are. And if you really get into the granular level of the game, you, you can find it's beneficial to move your unit start point to mm-hmm. to be placed near a resource heavy place or an area with natural defenses. And there's a whole bunch of maps on these games, and they also came with map editors as well, which was that's really cool. Um, it sort of extends the life of it, and I think we've we've strayed into the territory of what the skirmish mode is. Um, so obviously, alongside the campaign that we talked about, you do have this skirmish mode where. And this is this is how I play CNC exclusively. It's where the game excels. Um, you, this is where you. So we go back to the tabletop side of things here, where like you create your own stories and create your own. Yeah, world. this is the sandbox mode, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So it's it's a bit like to me, Ad. You know how the base game of Civilization you play the equivalent of skirmish mode, but then they also offer scenarios as, a, as an extra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of, to me, what makes skirmish mode the main thing. This is just you and X amount of other players dumped into a map with a construction vehicle. Go. And that's great. And, you know, it's it, it really, like, gives you that ultimate control of, of how well you do there. There's no, you know, pre, pre-designated missions or anything like that. This is it's on you. And you can either play against friends... Um, online or randoms online or obviously against the computer to, to build your base as fast as possible yeah obviously playing online against people back in the day 
on dial-up. wasn't as readily available as it is now, but there was LAN modes and different things. And it, it was an online game, even back then, but it's, mm-hmm. it just wasn't you know, as good. Get your, get your modem out. Um, but those, the, you know, the skirmish mode is fast-paced, it's frantic, and it's always a lot of fun, you know, especially if you're playing against a friend. Um, I th- Yeah, well, it is fun playing against a friend. I actually, my preferred way to play it is in teams with a friend against two AI players. That's always a lot of fun as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you can set the AI to easy, medium, or hard as well, which is always good. Um, if you fancy a bit of extra difficulty. So, um, yeah. In terms of gameplay, that's about it. But what they also did uh, in '96 was they released a um, an expansion pack called Cover Up, Cover Up, uh, Cover Ops. Jesus, Covert Cover uh, Ops. I cannot speak tonight. They called it Covert Operations, basically, um, and that brought you seven new missions for GDI and eight new Nod missions, ten new multiplayer maps, which for the time is absolutely immense. Um, seven new songs you can put in your CD player. That's pretty cool. Although I don't know if they're any good. Um, an automatic patch to update Command and Conquer to the newest version. So, um, you know, good fan service from uh, Westwood from Tim. There, he knows what his fans like, <laughs> and he, you know, he provided them with more. So, yeah, uh, Tom, any anything else to say on on your time playing this? Do you want to talk? Yeah, let's talk about our experience playing. So, this is. A fond memory of mine from childhood. I felt like I was playing a big boy game playing this game. It was, you know, it was on a computer. It wasn't on the Mega Drive. It was like adult themed. It was war. It was, you know, gritty. And there was these videos. And like, it was something totally different for me than what I'd played on, you know, Super Nintendo and Mega Drive and stuff beforehand. It felt like an, like I said, like an adult's game. Yeah. Yeah. Going back, the, it isn't as good as I remember. It's fairly simplistic. I mean, you compare it to the kind of games we have today that in a lot of ways can be far too complex. But this is fairly simplistic. And I find what the pro- my biggest problem is with it, especially my favorite game mode, which is Skirmish, is long, long before the end, the winner is determined. Yeah, There's very little to turn the tide of battle at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, you either end up on the back foot or the front foot, and then it's just a battle of attrition to, to, you know, to, to end the game. And I think it could really benefit from some... I don't know if the later games had some method of really turning the tide on that or... We'll have to explore that because, yeah, I agree with that. I think once you've started overpowering an enemy, that they, they don't really have a chance to get back into it. Um, no, but equally, once they've started overpowering you, mm-hmm. yeah. you're kind of fucked. Yeah, exactly. As I said, that comes back to resource management as well. Like, the... The constant need to be topping up your Tiberium, but how long it fucking takes to do that, it, it's just um, once you start losing units and losing, you know, buildings and stuff, it just becomes an absolute nightmare to try and manage. And then the other thing is that, you know, the, the need for more Tiberium becomes ever present. So what you end up doing is building half a dozen refineries mm-hmm. and 30 trucks or something. Why not implement a system where you could pay to upgrade the truck so it can carry twice as much? Or yeah, yeah. Like there's there was ways to to streamline the experience more, and and you know, adding upgrades to the building. So it, it was a refinery level one, refinery level two. Don't know if that happened ever later. I don't remember it happening. I can't, yeah, I, can't, I don't think it did. Um... But that would be quite kind of cool. And you know, maybe adding. So there's definitely. Future games such as um, uh, Warhammer 40,000 Dawn of War, mm. which is an absolutely fantastic RTS, mm-hmm. 
you know, applied a lot of that kind of stuff. And I think this really demonstrates that this this was the origins of some later, greater games. Yeah, I mean, this, as we sort of said at the start of the show, this shot RTS more into the mainstream um, and made it more of an accessible genre to people. Um, and without it, we, we may very well not have had uh, the later titles that you're talking about there. Um, you know, so it's, it's definitely got a lot of negatives, but it's also got many many positives that i found when i was playing through it that it's ultimately it's still fun. totally playable it's just it's just very dated and quite basic in its game design mm-hmm. yeah and i couldn't really a bit get... like westwood himself <laughs> yeah very much so bloody tim uh in terms of uh how the game was received tom um it i think De- what... described as as westwood's magnum opus yeah that was my wording i think it is it's you know it's clearly its most successful as franchise and series um and this was what started it also i think you should you know regard it as their you know magnum opus because it started it all off for them shot them into the mainstream uh, it was a very it was a pretty uh, well received game it was a commercial success in the us it was the fourth fourth best selling cd rom across all categories in 1995 Ooh, i love that's, a cd rom <laughs> that's pretty impressive uh, by '96, it had sold 500,000 copies worldwide. So pretty well done. It's mad, though, isn't it? That like 500,000 copies put it in the top four, and now we're like, oh, Be nowhere near. Yeah, here's GTA that sold 25 million copies or whatever. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Um, but the critical it is Candice. <laughs> critical reception was really good as well. Um, highly positive. It was named best strategy game of the year of 1995 by PC Gamer US. And the year's top real-time strategy title and overall game of the year by Computer Games Strategy Plus. That's a niche title. <laughs> yeah, Let me look these guys up. Computer Games Strategy. I wonder what kind of people read this. Fat people. <laughs> Living in their mom's basement. Oh, I love computer With games. neck beards. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I, yeah. Do they exist anymore? Looks, looks dull. <laughs> um, Entertainment Weekly's Bob Strauss offered Strauss and Heisen. <laughs> he offered the game exclusive praise. We are <laughs> Rammstein. Command, command and conquer. <laughs> Hello. You uh, want to see my brotherhood of Nod? Oof. No, thank you, Bob. Uh, if you like playing with toy soldiers as a kid, you'll think you've stepped into a la- on a landmine and gone to heaven. What a strange comparison to make. <laughs> People couldn't journalist in the days, could they? <laughs> no, they could not. Strauss <laughs> believed that its cutscenes, voice clips, and non-stop action served to... It is like a schlagbaum has opened and allowed you into the world of joy. <laughs> was that a quote from something? What's that? No. Oh, God, that was pure Tom Brain. Um... <laughs> And serve to enliven the usually Schlagbaum is an sake. old word <laughs> that is a Ger- an old worldy German word still used in Ukrainian and Russian. Right. That is like a one of them red and white barriers that rises. And in the Ramstein song Pussy, he says Mein Schlagbaum rise. <laughs> He's referring to his penis. Yeah, he also says Mein Bratwurst in dein Sauerkraut. Oh. Which means my bratwurst in your sauerkraut. <laughs> Thanks for that translation. <laughs> I'd never have fucking guessed. <laughs> I don't know where I was now, but basically Bob Strauss was bumming Command and Conquer. He loved it. He absolutely loved it. Uh, so, 
that's really it for the roadmap. I like this though. However, according to him, the developers failed to correct major shortcomings in Dune 2 as the fog of war does not fit with the real world setting. Yes, it does, you moron. Of course it does. All right, it only looks like it's so many meters in front of him in the game, but the idea was that you were going into an area where you didn't have the intel on what the enemy was doing. It was representative of a lack of information. He's not very abstract, is Bob Strauss. No, say it as you see it, Mr. Chips. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, largely well-received, and, I mean, I think rightly so. It, it, was, uh, it was a genre-defining title, Tom. So that leads us on to our close of the show ratings time. Um, Are we doing it this season? We haven't really done it, have we? We haven't, but only... F- well, we didn't do it for Pong, which kind of makes sense. We can't really but... do it for Pong. Did we do it for Sonic? We... I mean, I think we did. I can't remember. Can't remember. <laughs> Let's do it anyway. So this is the 8-bit shit scale, four and on behalf of the Democratic People's Republic of Wales, as certified by our... <laughs> What's his fucking title? I don't fucking remember. Something to do with Griffey Jones. Jones. <laughs> Tom, where would you fit this on the scale? What's the scale? Can you read me the options again? It's it's like oh, shit up, whatever the second one is. Bollocks. No, I can't. Uh, I can find Proper it. tidy. Proper tidy, but... Uh, I've moved now. I'm not in Wales anymore. Oh, shit. Yeah, you can't be on the 8-bit shit scale. Um, I'm going to find the scale because I want to know what it is. Uh... As, as non-interesting as this may be to everyone else, I need to know. I've got it. Right. Fuck's sake. It's a long document. Right. Uh, look. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rate it on Tim Westwood quotes. Oh, okay. So I'm going to give you five options and you're going to tell me which one it is. These are in no specific order. Get your hustle on, baby. <laughs> or we're going in strong. We're built for that. Take it down south or bow down and kiss the ring. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what represents good. (laughs) What the fuck? Uh, Bow down and kiss the ring. (laughs) I agree with that. It's it's a good game. It's shit hot. I love CNC. Absolutely. That's that's been our roundup of Command and Conquer um, by Tim Westwood and his studio. Um, Tom, thank you for joining me for that 8-Bit Shit Show. No problem. Dim problem a gobble. And I will see you again next time. Take care, man.